It's the show where Hawaii's newsmakers come to talk and to take your questions live. From the nation's capital to Honolulu Hale, from the state legislature to the fifth floor, we bring the experts to you and ask them what you want to know. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. Well, aloha, happy Wednesday. Thanks so much for joining us here on Spotlight Hawaii. I'm Yanji Denise, joined by Ryan Kalei We are a little under a month away from the opening of something that so many have been waiting on for so long. We are talking, of course, about the start of the Honolulu Rail Project. June 30th, the mayor says that people can start to ride the train. So who should we talk to? Of course, our guest today, Ryan. That's right. The countdown is on. And joining us this morning is Heart CEO Lori Kahikina. Thanks so much, Lori, for joining us once again. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, let's just start off broadly with where we're at with this timeline happening about a month away from handing over the key, so to speak, uh, to the city. Uh, how confident are you that you folks will be ready for this upcoming uh deadline. Yes, very confident. So thank you for asking that because when Mayor uh, said in his State of the City address, I've been kind of harassed about my gas (laughs) because he said he said July, but we told him don't overpromise, underdeliver because of our reputation. But um, he at the last second decided to say July said, okay, we're going to do it. And we are um, we're about a month ahead of schedule because I I technically had till July 31st, but we're going to hit it June 30th. Well, let's talk about meeting the the sort of uh, things that you need to do to be able to hand over the keys, so to speak. Um, is all the testing done? What are you doing in the next 30 days or so uh, to make sure that everything runs smoothly on the opening day? Yes. So there are two major things, stumbling blocks that we had was the hammerheads and the trial running. And trial running went exceptionally smooth. Uh, Hitachi surpassed my expectations. We expected them to take about 45 to 60 days, but they they nailed it. They got that 98.5% up um, uptime in 35 days. So on April 2nd, they met that. All of the paperwork has been submitted. So on the trial running side, we're complete, ready to go. The other thing was the hammerhead. So the work was finished on May 21st, and now we just need documentation from our engineer of record that everything is safe. We can get people onto the stations and we should be getting that document sometime this week. So we should be ready to go. You know, when we spoke about this program, one of the other question marks and red flags that came forward were some of the cracks in some of the structuring. Uh, At the time that we last spoke, I believe that we were discussing uh, whose responsibility it would be to kind of pay for some of that. Uh, First question is, has all those cracks and those uh, concerns been resolved? And has there been any determination, uh, ultimately, who is going to be responsible for covering the cost for some of those repairs? Oh, very good question. So the actual physical work, like I mentioned, was completed. So all the cracks were epoxy injected. And then the post-post tensioning was done on those eight hammerheads out on the west side. All of the costs that have been spent up to now to do those repairs, Kiwit has um, taken on those costs. Hart hasn't spent a penny on it. Um, no commercial discussions have been discussed. I don't think Kiwit is going to file anything, any claim against us. But if they do, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when it comes. So to answer your question, no discussions have been done with Kiwit, but all costs have been borne by Kiwit up to this point. 
you know, we've been waiting for this day for so long. I'm, I'm sure that you have some um, analysis, but what can you share with us about how many people you actually expect to ride the train, given where it starts and ends at the moment? Sure, sure. I'm not an expert on the ridership numbers. That's more Roger and, and John, but I can't remember the numbers that they were projecting for the first segment of what the ridership will be. Of course, it's going to grow when, once we open the second segment in a couple of years and even more once we open all the way to Civic Center. But I'm sorry, I don't have those numbers off the top of my head. Just sort of broadly, though, what are you hoping that, you know, not in terms of numbers, but impact, you know, this was really supposed to help alleviate some of the traffic congestion. Do you think that this first uh, part of the route will actually help to do that? Um, I'm not sure about that because we are only going up to um, Aloha Stadium, but I do know the Navy is a big impact. They're one of the big um, employers that we are at least going to be servicing. DTS has already been speaking to the Navy about having bus routes exclusively for their employees because they're already a large employer now, but with dry dock starting pretty soon, even more so, they're going to have more employees, contractors working over there, and there's not enough parking. So my understanding is if we can get those employees off of the roads, get them on the train, if they're coming from the leeward side, meet up at the stadium, and then there's going to be bus routes directly for Pearl Harbor. So I think there'll be some, um, some impact to the traffic, but not as much as if we're opening all the way. You know, this may seem like a pretty elementary question, uh, but just wondering how the mechanics of this is going to work, knowing that it is only going to Aloha Stadium, uh, that this is just part of the phase. Uh, but when you're looking at the logistics and the planning of how many rail carts, so to speak, that will go through, what does that look like? Does does Will it essentially just run from the beginning uh, in Kapolei to Aloha Stadium and then just go back and forth? And, and how many cable cars are we talking about that will kind of be in this transition? Because ultimately Aloha Stadium was not going to necessarily be the end or hub, but how was, how was the adjustments been having to make uh, along this route, knowing that this is only a modified route? Good, good question. So for that first segment, there's going to be five trains running at any given time, and there's going to be two spares, but Hitachi has actually done a terrific job of getting extra cars, extra trains ready. So I believe we're transferring over 12, four car trains to DTS in the next couple of weeks. But again, they only need five. And yes, they're only going to be running from East Kapolei to the stadium and they should be running at about 10 minute intervals. So you don't need to know a schedule like the bus schedule. You need to know when that bus is going to be coming to that stop. You don't need to do that for the rail. Every 10 minutes, there should be a train arriving. So if you miss it, don't worry. 10 minutes later, another one will be coming. But as far as the connectivity, my understanding is DTS has made adjustments to bus routes to, so that there is going to be a bus to meet the passengers at the different stations. This is all new for so many of us. And I think one of the things to remind people is that these are driverless uh, train cars. So if you can just walk us through some of the, you know, some of the logistics of that, um, how, how the operation is actually run. I know it's automated and there are people that are running it, but how, how does that actually work? And, and what if there is an issue along the route? How is that handled given that there is no driver in the car itself? Sure, sure. This is more of a DTS question, but I'll answer it best that I can. What I understand, they have a three-tier security and safety plan. And the first level is, although you're right, no one will be physically on the train, but when they first open, I believe they will. 
maybe um, roving, roving securities inside of the trains and also underneath at the different stations. Especially when they first open, they'll have ambassadors to help people how to get a holocard, how to load it, how to use the fare gates and how to open the, um, how to get up on the top to the passenger gates. But at the operations center, there's someone monitoring 24 seven. There are thousands of cameras along the system, whether it's on the guideway, inside external to the train, inside external to the stations. They can even verbally speak on those speakers. For example, when we had those students break into our station, we can um, talk on the, that, you know, police are gonna be there any second now, so you need to vacate the, the facility. But HPD is the last tier. We're not gonna have police officers 24 seven on the system, but they will be available if something should happen. Um, John Nouchi, my understanding, just took a bunch of the leadership of HPD out onto the train uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they were very impressed with the system, how clean and efficient it is, and they are on board to help make that system safe for our, our passengers. Let's talk about where things are at as we move further into the urban core and Dillingham. Uh, when we last spoke again, you said uh, that seemingly every day there is some sort of hiccup or some sort of um, obstacle that you're having to overcome. How have things been uh, thus far in the last few months with just the work that's happening there? And if there are any things that have come up that have surprised uh, those work that the work that's been going on there right now? Um, so one issue that did come up recently. So um, our contractor NAM puts together a traffic control plan and it needs to be submitted to DTS for approval. And it's, it's an ongoing construction site. So things happen, cones get knocked down, signs are knocked down or they're not in the right place, giving the right instructions. And so what my team does is they do regular inspections. Um, if it's not daily, minimally, every Friday I get a, personally, I get a report now of what are the deficiencies are and then man has to fix those deficiencies. So there were some points where it wasn't being addressed quick enough and so DTS was getting um, quite frustrated. So I got a call late um, in, the, in the afternoon that DTS is gonna pull our permit because we need to make sure the purpose of the traffic control plans is to make it safe for the motorists and even the pedestrians that are walking and, and even for the contractor. So when I got the call, okay, I, I called DTS and I said, please, I will personally go out there. I still had my brace on. I will personally go out there in the middle of the night to make sure that everything is is done according to your plans and so they gave me that reprieve we went out there we fixed it and then i told our contractor don't do that again don't don't cause a fire drill so make sure that's why i'm getting these reports every friday now anything that is not according to the standards of dts we need to fix by the next week so that was the latest issue that came up <laughs> Um, I want to bring in this question from Brutus, and we are going to have uh, Roger Morton and John Nochi from the city on soon uh, to walk us through some of these kinds of questions. So um, to the viewer, you know, please come back when they're on as well. But this might be something that you can answer. Uh, Brutus is asking the rail elevated station. The rail has elevated stations with elevators. When those lose power, how will disabled riders be able to unload from the stations when those people cannot use stairs? I have looked at Waipahu. How will you get wheelchairs and road down three floors or flights of stairs. What are the backup power generator plans um, if there is a power outage? Yes, so if there is a power outage, so again, even the, the trains will actually gonna come to a stop, but you're right. That is more of a question for DTS, but we do have backup generators 
for emergency situations to get those who are in wheelchairs off the train and out of the station. So there are backup generators for that. Let's talk about the progress that's being made at the airport. Uh, for those who go uh, to the airport frequently, you can see uh, just how much of an impact uh, this construction is having in the area, but how quickly also things are coming together. Uh, how are things going from that corridor from Aloha Stadium through the airport and once you hit uh, maybe in that Middle Street area? Has, is, are things seemingly progressing? Are there any, uh, have there been any setbacks in, in that phase of the construction? Um, so it is progressing. They're a little bit behind schedule. I would have liked them out of here by September. That was the last schedule that we received from STG, but I think that schedule is going to slip to either the end of the year or next year. The guideway and the tracks are done. It's the stations, the last four stations, and you can see that there's still quite a bit of work that needs to be done. I doubt it's going to be done by September, but the key is they need to get enough done on those stations for the follow-on contractor, uh, Hitachi, to get in there to do the communications because that's going to take them about a year or two to pull all the cabling, to do all of the software work. That's the communications back to the rail operations center to the stations and the trains. So they're partially in there, but ST, STG needs to get a little bit more work done so that Hitachi can really start to get their work done. and. That segment is slated to open in 2025, but if STG slips, that pushes Hitachi back too. But right now, the schedule is holding to open that summer of 2025. Okay, and just so people understand the logistics of this, um, it's not like bus stations where you can just uh, go to the next one that's ready and the next one that's ready and so on. So we have nine stations opening on the 30th of June, uh, East Kapolei to Aloha Stadium. What is the, is, the, is the next segment then airport? What is the next sort of segment of stations that will open? And, and I'm guessing that's the 2025 route. Right, correct. So there's four more stations that are opening. So you're correct, from Aloha Stadium, then it goes to Pearl Harbor, to the airport, Lagoon and Middle Street. And when I first came in and Mayor first came in, he asked me, can we at least open up to the airport? Because that's another huge um, employee employee um, hub, but also all of the tourists coming in, maybe they're gonna go out to the west side, but how it works, it goes in a series. And so we tried to look at, we did an analysis. Okay, if we add the two more stations to try and open up, it would cost us millions more and we're only gonna save a few months. So we said, sorry, mayor, we have to just open up to the stadium. And then the last, the last four stations come as a package deal. And the communications, like I said, it's in series. So STG needs to allow Hitachi to get in at the Pearl Harbor station, at the airport, and then it goes in a series so that they can talk back to um, the rail operations center as they're pulling their cables. When talks of the budget for this project uh, continue to move forward, there was a discussion for ways to modify and to help maybe reduce some of the costs by maybe eliminating some of the initial routes and stops and stations that were initially planned. Uh, are any of those types of conversations still happening? Have all these stations and stops been solidified and confirmed? If you can give us an update on what that looks like as we move even beyond Dillingham, going into the urban core of downtown Honolulu as you make your way to uh, the Civic Center. Sure. So I did say that the last time I was here on Spotlight and I, oh, I got into trouble. My staff beat me up, FTA beat me up. So please get that off the record that we cannot eliminate stations, but we have the funding. The funding that when if you put into um, what we put into the recovery plan, we have the funding to get all the way to Civic Center with the remaining stations and guideway. I think the question I was asked at the time was, what if 
um, the, the, when we have the city center guideway station request for proposals out on the street, the first part, what happens if the bid comes in higher than we expected? And so I said, well, maybe we might have to temporarily defer a station. Well, okay, we can't. So we need to find other alternatives. But the good news is our GET TAT is coming in higher than anticipated. Um, hopefully we can control our costs on the remaining contracts that are being worked on right now, whether it's the AGS, the, the STG contract at the airport section or the utility relocations for the downtown one with Coluccio, our staff is actually doing um, optimization. So we're actually moving some of the columns and working with HDOT, working with our partners to see if we can move a column this amount of maybe one foot, we save millions of dollars of not having to do the utility relocation. So we're trying to still find cost savings in case that bid comes in higher than anticipated. But as of right now, we do have the funds to get to Civic Center. There's a follow-up from Lauren uh, asking about some of the possible delays you were talking about. Just asking why won't it be done by September and what are the reasons for the so-called slippage? Very good question. I did want to cover that the reason there was slippage was there was there's still supply chain issues that, that all of our contractors are dealing with. We had concrete shortage, we had asphalt shortage, and just trying to get materials in from the mainland, the manufacturers are all behind schedule. So thank you. I did want to cover that and, and I, I, I meant to do that. So sorry about that. When we last also talked, there was uh, some concern over concrete itself and its availability. And, you know, you were saying how you wanted to make sure that this project was prioritized uh, based on the availability of just concrete on the island. Uh, how are those discussions looking, knowing that uh, this is a project that will take, of course, a few more years, but just making sure that you can solidify some of these necessary material in order to uh, ensure that this project continues to move forward on a timely manner? So we haven't begun those discussions, but I do understand that the dry dock is going to take priority. It is a federal project, a military project. So they tend, they I think there's a law that allows them to take priority over every other project on the island. So we haven't begun those discussions that at least can some of it come to us, not 100% go to dry dock, but that will affect our schedule, unfortunately, if we cannot get some of that concrete that we need. How are you feeling about where you are right now? I mean, you took on this project at a pretty rough time and, and took over uh, when there was, you know, I remember talking to you in the in the first appearances that you had on our program and, you know, you couldn't get through Longs or, or, or Foodland without being stopped many, many times. You know, as you have now, as you're now in the phase where you're actually able to see folks start to ride the train, how are you feeling about it? And, and what are those discussions like that you have with people in the grocery store and Longs? Yeah, it continues to be positive. Um, I still get it. At least once a week, somebody, a stranger is stopping me on the sidewalk and or like you said, in the store and, and just saying thank you. Thank you for taking on this job and for what you're doing. And it's very humbling. Um, as far as this, where we're at right now, where we're transferring, I did mention in cabinet that it's it's bittersweet. It's like a parent, you're handing over your child and you're excited for this next phase, but it's also, that's my child, you know, please DTS, please take care of it. Um, and they will, they will. And we're here to help them in any way that they need. Um, but it is exciting where we're at and just very, very humbled by the positive feedback that we've gotten from the public. And you folks are a key part of that, you know, and this is why I wanted to do the interview with you folks today. We moved it up because tomorrow morning, 
we're going to do the morning shows and you folks have always been so so supportive of me and of heart so we wanted to give you the first crack at an interview with me before i do the morning shows tomorrow well we always appreciate you coming <laughs> on and we always uh, appreciate your transparency and just answering some of these questions uh, as we talk about just the general consensus of the community one area uh, of, of community, community that has been impacted by this has been businesses. And we've seen it along the construction as it went through IA and Pro City and some of those businesses complaining about traffic and interruption to their own services. Uh, if you can explain that portion of it, because I think that is a big part of your operations as well, is to really communicate with these businesses that find themselves along the rail line. And as you move in uh, further into the heart of Honolulu and that urban core with more businesses likely to be impacted, and traffic and such. How are you communicating that and how are you working with some of these businesses? Sure, that's that's very fair and it's 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 um very unfortunate that we are affecting them, but we haven't had too many complaints. Joey Manahan and his team actually go out to the business community and residents every week to go and meet with them to make sure everything we're doing everything that we possibly can to make things better for them. We do have our monthly business community meetings, but the attendance has been so low that we might not um, continue to do them monthly because there's not much update that we can give them. Um, those that have called in, there's only been a handful and it's, can they get financial relief? So that's not on hearts. We are impacting them, but we don't have authority over that. None of our funds can go to assist them. But I understand city council is putting together something maybe um, the difficulty is going to be to prove that the impact was from solely from heart versus COVID impact supply chain issues. That will be difficult for the businesses to show. But again, that's out of our purview, but we're trying everything that we can to help. We make sure their, um, their driveways are open. We have signage to help them. We did finally get through to Apple Maps, Google Maps almost overnight. Um, Ed Sniffen was able to give me a point of contact so that they reroute the, the uh, patrons instead of turning left because you can't turn left on Dillingham to reroute them in order to turn right into their driveways. And Apple Maps was able to get it done too about a month ago. So now both apps will lead the pay, lead the drivers to, um, to the businesses by turning right into their driveway. Yeah, and just to remind people, I mean, this is not a temporary uh, situation when it comes to Dillingham. We are looking at, at years of this, is that right? That is correct. So the contract with um, man for Dillingham, it's a 38 month contract, but more than likely it's going to be four years just for the utility relocation. But after that, the city center guideway station contractor comes in. But in that case, that one is more lineal where we'll go from one segment, you know, from because the columns are built linearly. So right now for the utility relocation the whole dillingham is impacted so that's about three to four years but the ccgs contractor will be in sections going down the way and if you can explain uh and just give us an overview of when it gets into the downtown quarter as it moves into kakaako um what are you know some of the challenges that you anticipate uh, knowing what you're running into with dillingham how are you navigating through as you anticipate that and, and what does that timeline look like for that uh, last segment Sure. So the downtown utility relocations is actually a much shorter contract. They should be done next year in 2024 unless, and we're doing a lot of, like I said, optimization over there. So there's less utilities to relocate. But um, as far as the impacts, a little bit different. Um, we're going to be more on Ala Moana. So we're not in the heart like Dillingham. 
Dillingham to me has much more of an impact than downtown. So that timing, again, the city center guideway contractor, we're gonna to want to award by summer of next year. And we're thinking because the downtown utility relocation is ahead of Dillingham, he's gonna to have to start east and start working west back towards Dillingham. So that contract will be awarded hopefully summer of next year, but it it's a design build contract. So the design will probably take about one year and then shovel to ground the year after that. So looking overall at the timeline, I know you said that, you know, we're looking June 30th for this first segment, 2025 for the next, and, and it's basically three, three segments. Is that right? So when do you, you know, when is the, do you think that this will fully be completed up to, you know, where we're ending now and then maybe further discussions down the line about Ala Moana and UH and so on? Sure. So the, the last segment is 2030, 2031 timeframe. That's to Civic Center. That's at the cross, street, cross streets of Halekawila and South Street. But beyond that, we do need to get to Ala Moana. We do need to get to the University of Hawaii. But first steps, we right, want to open up the first segment, June 30th, get the second segment open, get the third segment. But So we'll start talking about the Ala Moana and beyond, um, our board has actually formed a PIG, a permitted interaction group to start talking about that because hopefully there's some cost savings with our existing funding, but we will need additional funding. Um, the biggest of our funding is the GET TAT. So might have to start conversations with the state legislators in about two years, but we need to still prove ourselves. I'd like to get us open so that they can look, feel, touch on what the rail system is like. And then the federal funds, we are eligible for federal funds past Ala Moana. From Kaka'ako to Ala Moana, we're not because they forgave, even though we truncated the scope with our full funding grant agreement and our recovery plan, they did not take away any of the funding, even though we truncated the scope temporarily. So we can still go for federal fundings from Ala Moana to University of Hawaii or more further west. As we wrap up here, I'm just curious, you know, what has been the most challenging part uh, of this job for you? You know, this comes with uh, a lot of pressure, uh, a lot of criticism at times, public <laughs> criticism. Uh, but for you, what has been the hardest part that you've had to navigate through? I think that that exactly what you said, the public perception. And, and it's right. It's rightfully so. Right. The people have waited so long for us to get to this point and the budget has been increased. The time has increased. So there's there's um, valid frustration, but yeah, I get me and my team, we get beat up for that. And I, but I have to say over the last two and a half years, it has gotten much, much better in the beginning. It was really rough. It was really rough public perception, but I think it's improved quite a bit. And again, I credit it to you folks and, or like the Rick, Rick Hamada, he's been a huge supporter now, Rick and my Rick Keen and I are there every Friday morning and the media has, has, help turn public perception a bit. So that's a little bit of pressure off my shoulders. I appreciate it. Uh, I know it's ballpark numbers, but if you could tell us how much has been spent so far and how much do you think this ultimately will cost, uh, you know, how much the project will cost and, and why you think it's a good investment in the end. So we spent about $5 billion so far. That's all the way on the west side and what's been what's being done um, for the utility relocations. and. I believe our estimate is still at $9.1 billion, plus another um, about three quarters of a billion dollars in financing costs. So right now we're still holding the line. We're still holding the line. I do think it is worthwhile. Um, the CEOs across the nation who have reached out to me and said, Laurie, you're going through 
the pain that every one of us has gone through. People don't want it. They, they fight you. But once you open up and they see the utility of it, they're going to start asking, when can you come to my my side? You know, it's kind of like the H3. It was it was people against it. But once they start using it, how did I live without it? So I'm hoping that's that's what's going to happen once we open up. All right, Laurie Kahikina, thank you so much for taking time with us once again this morning to give us an update. And uh, we are looking forward to seeing that train running next month. Uh, and again, we'll be talking to some more officials from DTS to get some of the other details, but appreciate the update that you provided you. this morning. Aloha. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Always great to talk to her. Uh, and she is very transparent. You know, she tells us the good, bad, and the ugly. The good is, uh, from their perspective, that it's opening on June 30th. People will be ready to ride. It's very exciting. Uh, and we just covered some of the nuts and bolts of how this is going to work, reminding folks that these are driverless trains, um, but that there will be roving security. There are backup systems when it comes to any power outages. Of course, this is an electric system. Um, and then, you know, she thinks that once people actually touch and feel and ride the trains, that they will have the same enthusiasm that she does and believe that the $5 billion spent so far, ultimately up to $9 billion, uh, or perhaps a little over that in the end, uh, will be worth it. Yeah, and you also heard from her just how confident she was with just the overall operations with the stress tests that have been happening, the safety measures and safety efforts that have been going on to sort of pretest what it would look like on a daily basis, saying that it exceeded expectations that Hitachi uh, has also come through on some of the promises that they made with just some of the operational side of that. And we know those were also some of the question marks that came in this as well. Uh, she also noted that some of the frogs and some of those cracks that were somewhat of a red flag and pains in this project has been resolved and they continue to move forward, uh, especially with this section that is beyond just what's going to happen at Aloha Stadium. But this next corridor, this next section that would be uh, and include the airport going to Middle Street, there is some concern that that may have to get pushed back because of some of the delays. She said the guide rails, uh, rails itself is set, but it's really the stations that need some work to be done. Uh, and she also noted that even after that's done, Hitachi then has to come in and bring in some of the more technical communication wiring that could take up to a year and a year and a half and push things back a little further back than they initially anticipated for that airport section. But where they're at here uh, in Dillingham as they head closer into town. Yeah, and Dillingham traffic, you know, a lot of us have experienced that. If you head over to Costco or any of the businesses in that area, you do know that there is a lot of changes to that road right now and expect those to last for up to four years. Um, that's just, you know, what has to happen to reroute a lot of the wiring that needs to happen to get this system in place. Um, but she did say that they're getting fewer complaints from businesses and said that there could be some movement uh, on the city council's part to help uh, anybody who's experiencing any financial hardship because of this construction. Uh, she also talked about some potential problems with the concrete supply chain. Uh, dry dock is starting. The federal government takes precedent over this project. And so we'll see what happens. Uh, supply chain issues have been a big part of this conversation and they continue to be. Yeah, so with all that, though, it, it is exciting to note that uh, this train will finally be operational. Again, she is very confident in this timeline. Uh, and as we said, there are a lot of logistical questions that I'm sure people out there have about how this will all work, how this will operate, uh, some of the connecting issues with 
buses and transfers and all those things. We'll be talking to members uh, of DTS and the city to answer some of those questions here on Spotlight Hawaii next month as we dive deeper into the logistics for riders uh, and what they need to know as they prepare for the rail. Yeah, I personally am so curious. I think I'm going to go out there on the the first weekend and take a ride. (laughs) I know my kids want to do it. We've been watching the test trains. Um, so I think it'll, it'll be an exciting, uh, it'll be an exciting moment for the city to see what this is actually all about. So we look forward to that conversation with Roger Morton and John Nucci coming up. We also have another guest from the city coming up on Monday. That's Andy Kawano. Um, he of course is on the mayor's team helping with uh, all the matters of the finances. Uh, the city budget is being negotiated right now and, uh, there is some daylight between the council and the mayor's office. So we're going to dive deep with that. Uh, with Andy Kuano on Monday, find out how those negotiations are going. We're actually taking Friday off. Ryan and I have another commitment, so we'll miss you on Friday, but we'll see you right back here on Monday with Andy Kuano. Aloha. Take care.